0: Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. And I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, Paddy Mann. Morning, Paddy. Good morning. Hi there. So we've been talking a lot over the last few episodes about how effective documentation and role onboarding can help solve huge business problems. We can reduce mistakes. Free up leadership time, get new joiners up to speed incredibly fast. And it's not just the impact on your bottom line, which is going to be huge, but it's the impact on your life and that of your employees. We're tackling huge sources of stress, anxiety, frustration and conflict. We've tackled the areas that lead to late nights, ruined holidays, depression and burnout. Today, we're going to try and really bring it to life uh, by focusing on a specific team, that of software engineering. Now while I don't want to overgeneralize software engineers love logic and so you'd think that documentation would come naturally yet yeah, we see a lot of software companies and departments that have little or no documentation and in some cases openly distrust its ability to help them at all so I'm going to be uh, particularly uh, asking for Paddy's insight on this because as a uh, as we have two software businesses and Paddy's been our essentially our CTO through uh, both of those uh, he's got some incredible insights on there. So Paddy, what's the problem here? Why do so many software engineers and managers in software engineering um, dislike or, or even distrust documenting?
1: <laughs> well, good question. And it's uh, an experience I've been through myself uh, a number of times. And essentially, we've talked a lot about the pain points that lead to the need to document and, uh, and sort out of onboarding. And like every other department, uh, the engineers experience this so they see that mistakes have been repeated and not been resolved they see that best practices aren't being duplicated and time has been lost and the senior team members are getting derailed or maybe have to work evenings to support the junior team members uh, as well as doing their own jobs and they're doing reviews and in engineering it, it can really blow up in terms of the impact because issues that are discovered late in the development life cycle uh, will cost you days or weeks or even longer. And if it makes it out to a production system and it's uh, the customers who are experiencing the pains that were missed because uh, a, a junior team member has missed a step, made a mistake, something was overlooked, uh, and it now needs to be reworked, you've not only got the huge impact for the for the company and the team, the weeks of fixing it, but the, the customer experience has gone down. That could be losing your customer, costing you all sorts. Other teams are now having to get involved too. And so they're getting all this pain it's slowing them down it's the huge uh, impact on on their velocity which is the key thing that most engineering teams are looking for but then of course it's also the stress uh and the churn um the stress the internal conflict the frustration um and and if employees are, are not working out uh or it feels like they're making mistakes or they're unhappy then you've got employee churn and everything else as well so there's a huge pain that needs to be fixed and it's a worthy cause because if you could fix just some of these problems, if you could just avoid one of those instances where you had to, to basically rework an area of the system after it was launched, it would pay back in weeks uh, and, and months. It would cause uh, the, t- the whole company to be moving faster. It, we're, we're talking tens, hundreds of thousands of pounds for Individual specific mistakes which could could have been avoided, and when you pile these on top of each other, all the little things, all the little uh, all the time that's been supported, you know, it, it's it's enormous. And so fixing it, you know, you can see that it would turbocharge the team. It could free up senior developer to engineers who are supporting lower people to do so much more. And any uh, technical team knows how valuable their best engineers are. If you can get them on it, it could be removing all those pain points. And so they realize that there's a pain they realize that there are problems and they're looking for solutions and so it's common that you'll look at it look at it and someone will be going okay well guys these things that we're making mistakes on it's not that no one on the team knows what the hell we were meant to do it's that the best practices that someone understands we need to do wasn't being done consistently across the team and so you go okay well how do you fix that well documentation does come to uh, come to mind. And so at some point, they will have tried this, uh, either in their existing team or in past teams. And I've always found it happens on a, a 18 months or three year loop of having this moment of going, you know what, if we just documented it, it would have been fixed. And so they set out on a path, and it might be the whole team is committed, or it might be one person is uh, going out solo to try and try and fix the documentation. But they unfortunately don't quite understand what documentation they really need to solve it. And what they are aspiring to is what they've seen online. And so if you go online and you're using other people's software, uh, and often I'm talking about libraries that you find on GitHub or wherever, then the best ones, the documentation is fantastic. It explains exactly how to use it in a really granular detail, which makes it really easy for another party, a customer to make use of that, that piece of content sometimes you find really great resources telling you how to do best practices and they'll go, this is a bad example. Here's a good example. Here's a bad, and it's beautiful. It's easy to, uh, to understand and read and, you know, developers, we, we, we love it when we get those great resources. And so we go, well, we've got these big business pains. We know that documentation should help. That's what great documentation l- looks like. Uh, let's go and do it for our, our tools. Um, which is is unfortunately that's th- that that moment that moment where you got to go i know how to do- documentation that's what it looks like this is what we're going to do that's where it all falls over because it's it's actually a fool's errand to try and replicate that kind of documentation that kind of documentation works well when you've got a large customer base who you are supporting outside of your team who needs you to, to use that content and you're solving the pain of not needing to support them with constant ticketing by making that content available that's not what your internal team need so you you spend a huge amount of time and you you've tried to solve the pain and and doing it at that level of granularity it's you know it, it we're talking weeks or or more of someone's time and it it doesn't deliver it it derails the team it doesn't solve the um business pain and so of course um the the team gets back to where we started which is this open dislike or even distrust of documentation helping because the experience that they've had and normally repeatedly has been that they've tried to use documentation to help, uh, but then they found out the documentation they created didn't add enough additional value versus simply looking at the code or talking to people. Um, and so they've assumed that you know this isn't the right way to go uh, and their, their existing ways of doing it are better than trying to repeat that.
0: Yeah, no, I think I, I think that's a, a really good analysis of of why of why that is and and uh, yeah the cause of those like dislike and distrust. It um, occurs to me that I think there are other uh, roles, departments, etc., that suffer with a similar uh, set of symptoms. Essentially, where wherever you've got a talented group of people who have. Um, who come into the workplace with a lot of background knowledge, understanding experience. So whether they're software engineers or whether they're accountants or uh, lawyers or, you know, um, uh, working in uh, corporate finance or whatever, wherever they have got detailed, uh, you know, or even more creative uh, areas, actually, like, you know, things like design. I think the temptation is to think, well, you know, I, I you know a where is the value in um documenting things that i know and and the creative piece you know like you wouldn't wrote, write a process or the documentation for like this is just how you like create a piece of code for a particular feature because it'll change every time like you know, once you develop that feature the feature is developed you don't need to do it again and so i think one of the challenges is what does need documenting versus not because it is different to say a uh, something like a, a sales role, where yes, well, perhaps, perhaps it's actually very similar. Is that is that the the content changes? So whether it's a feature or the sales case, uh, the customer and their needs, but actually the process that you go through to, to deliver it the same. And I think, as you say, like particularly for those high expertise, high training kind of backgrounds, the temptation is to say, well, yeah, this uh, the way I should solve this is is similar to perhaps what I studied. You know, studied when I was doing my accountancy exam or, you know, becoming a chartered accountant or a a working corporate finance and going through my uh, Sarbanes-Oxley and all this kind of stuff. And of course, it's actually you don't need that level. So uh, break it down for us then. So how should uh, documentation then be used in these cases? And let's use the example of the software engineering department. What's the alternative approach? Cool.
1: So, I mean, what you've highlighted there is you've you you kind of got two things. You've got your project documentation, and then you've got essentially the manual that you want people to be able to use for p- processes time and time again. And it's not when we're identifying the pain points and the issues, it's not you going, you know, typically the engineers going, well, what's really causing us pain is that we didn't know this specific bit of um really detailed knowledge about this one project we're working on because in projects you the nature of a project is that you are opening up new challenges and learning it as a team for the first time um, and so you're going to have some documentation which is project specific but then there are processes which need to be done every time and it's about the the, the kind of the quality control through that whole process to make sure the team's staying in sync meeting expectations and and, and delivering and this is where the the documentation is going to be delivering the real benefits and Fundamentally, fundamentally, all documents of this nature need to be tied to a process and that's going to be onboarding, training, policies or in the form of SOPs, which are basically uh, checklists that describe how you do a task. If it isn't tied to one of these processes or, or tied to a process in one of these formats, it won't be used and it won't be maintained. If it's not tied to a process, people are not just going to go and find that document that you've created at some point in your life and assume that it's still up to date and the right one to use. It it just won't happen. It might happen the first time because you've you've told them and trumpeted it, but it won't repeatedly happen and you're going to lose up on that benefit. So I'll give give an example. Classic uh, document that gets set up in your engineering team. It's called system architecture. And why is it there? It's because... Uh, there's this feeling that you know mistakes are being made and people don't have enough grounding in it uh, and so they create a document called system architecture and then they start putting everything in there and system architecture can be a pretty broad area you you can go at a high level across your, your you know your network components down into each area of the code base and you can describe so many concepts so the fact you've got this document it, you know it's very difficult to know what the scope is what exactly what you're going to get in there but it's also not possible to know when you're meant to use it because it's not tied just by being called system architecture tied to a business process in any way now there's an alternative way to approach it so instead of going we we're going to have a system architecture document put everything there uh, and then people will find it as and when they need you and you
0: go what and and just to dive in like because for those that um uh, are less familiar with software engineering and as a result go well i don't even know what you mean by systems architecture like firstly that's the point because actually even when you're within software engineering there's lots of different things that that might refer to as a you know uh, for a late for a layman's description it's kind of the 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 group of things that come together from a systems perspective to create the thing that you're referring to so whether it's the database but then you've also got the front end and you've got the network and these things and it's trying to make sense of those relationships but of course the nature of how detailed you go, what you set at the scope, and so on is not a defined thing. Um, and of course, while there are disciplines that try and provide some of that guidance, um, it's, uh, as, as Paddy says, it's like it, it's not immediately obvious when to use that, what for, and therefore what level of detail needs to be in, and all this kind of thing. Is that uh, appropriate, Paddy? Does that make sense?
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah, when we're talking about architecture and yeah you know, systems and code and all, all sorts, so it's really. Difficult to know exactly what the team are getting at when they when they think about it, and it's very easy for things to even be mislabeled. Um, so you, you, the team, nonetheless, will kind of create it, and, and they imagine why did they create it something like that because that's what they would see on Wikipedia or other things which are inspiring them. Um, but they need to dig down into actually what's the pain point here, what's led to them believing that this content needs to be shared, uh, and how do it actually tie into business processes, and what you can maybe had to find is, uh, okay, the the problem is that your senior engineer is constantly finding issues where um, their understanding of how the architecture should work is not being followed. And so late in the day, when they're doing a review of some updates, they are having to give a lot of feedback, and it's causing a lot of pain. And they're fed up of repeating the same kind of feedback to different team members and seeing it come up again and again. Now, if that's the case, then instead of having this broad document, you think about what, what's the, the process that's happened here? Well, it's at the review stage. And is it appropriate that it happens at the review stage? And how could we avoid that happening? And what you uh, will often discover is, OK, so this is basically a, a quality issue. And yes, people do need to be aware of it early. But what we really need to do is make sure it doesn't come up and it doesn't reach that senior engineer. And so what you can do is build it into your quality review processes. And we have something called a a peer review process, which basically every engineering team will already, or code engineering uh, team, will be doing it already. Um, But they're probably not including this step. And you go, wait a minute, if we've got a documented peer review process, then it's as simple as just adding a few steps to go, make sure you review this part of the architecture and that we haven't made these mistakes. And it can... It doesn't need everything, it just needs to focus on those few bits that often come up and can get very specific on make sure you haven't done these bits and why. And as that process gets used, starts to get used again and again, and if it's not quite detailed enough or you've missed some other point and something new comes up, then you add it in again. But because it's tied into that peer review process it's getting used every time rather than being a document that may or may not be referred to and it's getting improved as you go along and then there are even more opportunities because what you can do is then go instead of getting a peer to do that review i'm going to ask the person who's making the update to do his own review first using the same process and you see suddenly instead of again having this reference document over that may or may not be used you've embedded it in and you're starting to optimize it and you're improving it as you go along and that's huge um, at the same time, you might go actually it's it's once people know the the groundwork they don't actually need that review it's enough. It's more about getting people up to speed in the first place, and then you go, well what what process does that tie into? Wait a minute, we're getting them up to speed. that's onboarding. so we build it into our onboarding process and we go, do they need it immediately in the first few days or is it something that we bring it later? nonetheless, it's onboarding if it's some foundation that they need to get them up to uh, up to the level that, that you, you want them at. And you can imagine that the the impact that this can have, if you are spending hours uh, correcting mistakes and then going back to development, and doing all this ping pong uh, and then you get to fix it in the peer review process, you're saving hours and hours and hours and you're bringing the time it takes to develop new features often forward by days or weeks because you're avoiding mistakes that could have been avoided if you've got engineers who don't have this knowledge and after like four months, you're going, I feel like these people still don't understand some of the basics and you fix that for your future engineers, you're basically removing two or three months of them being ineffective in their role. The, the impact it can have on your team velocity is, is enormous. And suddenly you, you're doing it in a way which is embedded in the process and it's going to be used and it can be managed and maintained and, that's, that's how you do it.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, I like that because, uh, you know, uh, 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 we're applying it here specifically to software engineering. But to show how this then applies into another example, Like if I take something like that's present in every business would be finance where... In theory, there's a lot of complexity there, right? You've got um, uh, what would be uh, referred to as the chart of accounts. Basically, how do you categorize your income and expenses in the business and all to different categories? And again, that's an area where in theory you could have a chart of accounts document that kind of tries to explain those those things and, and so on. But again, like how, it's easy for it then to go out of date versus actually what's in your accounting tool um, at what point is someone meant to refer to that, and and so on to see those things? And of course, often the answer is well, actually, early on in your onboarding process, it makes to it makes sense to link to this is where you can find the charge for accounts in our accounting platform, so that you can try and find an a uh, uh, an account uh, category um, if you know if you're unsure. Um, but then, as you say, you see you have that as the the onboarding, but then as you say, like as part of the doing. So if you have it, for example, as part of reviewing expenses. And so you'd have a check that they've used the appropriate uh, account code. The full list are, are over here, but here's the most common ones for expenses. And this is when they should be used. And here's some common mistakes. And I think that's the key is looking at what are you trying to solve here? Is it that like in the onboarding, is it just giving in that case, an accountant or in the case of the system architecture, like the software engineer? Is it just giving them the insight that this is where it exists? And therefore, you can refer to it because you're not really expecting them to memorize full charge of accounts or a system architecture, right? Um, and then, when you're actually within the process, it's what are the mistakes that we're trying to avoid? What are the you know what are the things that cause us problems further down the line if they're if they're done wrong? And as a result, how do you adjust them. So I, I really like that as an approach to to doing that. And we see that in so many uh, businesses where the the way in which they're approaching that documentation is. And it's hard, right? Because it's it's it seems subtly different. It seems a nuanced thing, and yet the yeah. the fundamental shift it creates in the business, in terms of your ability to sh- create, share, follow, and update processes, um, becomes pretty fundamental. So, let's say a a, a department, and in this case, software engineering department, has has done this, and that they're following, you know, what we've what we've talked about here, and they're getting it right what would you expect to see? What's the impact here uh, in terms of stress levels, but also in terms of you know other other symptoms, if you like, of what it kind of looks like?
1: Well, so I'll talk first about what I'd expect to see in terms of the lay of the land and the content that we're going to have to support them. And then we can talk about the, the impact that then has. So again, this is a it can be difficult when you've got misconceptions about the form that your documentation is going to take, um, and about what the, what the needs are. And what I've started to describe is actually going to be tying it down to your, to your process. Um, and so what do you need in your, what would, what do you expect to see in a, a high performing engineering team that has got this stuff nailed down? Um, so the bits I'd expect to see, uh, first of all, the software development lifecycle, uh, which. Uh, you may know as the sdlc if you 're in engineering it 's basically a series of processes that takes a idea from inception through to actually being delivered into a uh, into an application or website at the other end and so there there are steps in that there are planning a new feature there is um, actually developing it, doing a peer review uh, which can also be done as a self review before peer review, doing user acceptance testing and releasing that out to production. Those are often the, the core processes for a lot of software uh, developers and will be using up 80, 90% of their time will just be based in those processes. So focusing on those ones is um, is a, a great place to, to start. Now, what you don't need to do is go super, super detailed. And I, this applies to all of these areas. You start high level and you work out where are their pain points, where we will get benefit adding more detail. So create the process just to, the title and description of what, what it is initially and then just add in the high level steps but do do not try and document every granular detail instead focus on where we're actually seeing pain oh currently we're seeing pain with these uh, mistakes around the architecture so that's add detail on that bit then there's the onboarding so there'll be a, a few checklists on um, for a new uh, a checklist for the a new join in the team on how to get uh, started and get to the point where they are confident in all areas of the role a checklist for the manager to prepare and support that person the same is true with uh, onboarding and interesting interestingly with my system architecture um, uh, a bit is that you may you may discover that you've experienced a pain, you've then talked about it as a team, and in talking about it in, as a team, you've already started to disperse the knowledge across the team to the point that it's not causing the pain that it was initially. But you've gone, we don't want this pain to happen again. And so you go, okay, well, it sits in onboarding. At that point, you you may go, okay, I'm going to go document it straight away, and that's going to be valuable. But uh, I'd put a question mark there and say, actually, by the point that point in the process... It's probably not going to have the impact that it would have had if it was there already. So you don't need to go in and create that entire document. What you do need to do is have that onboarding uh, process with a place where you can add a placeholder, which says system architecture and a few notes about the things that you specifically want to make sure you cover so that next time you've got a new joiner coming in, you can look at that process and go, ah, yeah, we need to pad that section out. And then you can prioritize that sensibly, knowing that you're going to get an instant return on the investment that you are making in doing that documentation, rather than trying to do it based on the fact that it should pay off in the next few years, depending on how many people actually get hired. And that makes a you know a huge difference. Keep it high level and only add the details in at the point of knowing that it's going to get a, 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 an almost immediate return on your investment in documenting. So SDLC, um, software development lifecycle, the onboarding, then there's recurring tasks. And some of these are going to be like management tasks, so uh, meetings, uh, updating dashboards. Um, you can and should, as a, a manager, be looking at how to get others on the team running the meetings and doing those dashboards. Often managers hold on to those tasks but why? Their time could be so much better spent uh, on on doing the really uh, specialist stuff or helping coaching rather than doing dashboards. And once you've got them systemized, then that, you, you can look at the individuals on your team who are best equipped to do them. There's also going to be looking at security vulnerabilities, uh, reviewing uh, errors that appear in your systems. And there are going to be some specialist tasks. So maybe you've got specialist tools that you use for sending emails or um, working with marketing department and updating their CRM and there are tasks which don't happen that often they're slightly out of sync with the rest of the tasks that your team doing and but you need to know how to do them and you don't want the engineer who set it up to be the only person who can because that's when you lose a day or two when that person goes on holiday or leaves the company because all that knowledge is in their head instead you want to make sure those specialist tasks are also captured so that someone else can do it and what we'd be looking to do is making sure there's at least two people that know how to do those checklists. So you avoid um, having a, what we would call a key person dependency, where you're always at that risk of someone someone leaving. Uh, and then you've got manual solutions. So as an engineering team, you you always want to make things automated and so on, but there's a big cost to it. Uh, and there's so often big opportunities for the team to get things out faster faster. And start testing it with customers faster. If they make some of it manual, and it may, be, uh, it may well be, be, it may well be a very short-term solution. Although actually, it can make business sense for that to be a longer-term solution. Uh, you can imagine that you've got a a new dashboard for customers, and you just want to initially test it with one customer. And you don't want to make give this one customer, you know, the ability to customize every bit on it. You just need to see if it works. So in the short term. You might need a, a checklist for how to set that up on the back end and how to configure it when they make, want to make tweaks and this makes brilliant business sense versus definitely versus like hard coding this into your tool even against low code solutions it can be much quicker just to write out a checklist and will allow you to move faster um it doesn't mean that you you know you're doing this for everything and that your your engineers are slowly becoming uh people who do nothing but update things for customers but it means about being able to make pragmatic decisions and at times move a lot faster. And then around, around software engineering, you've got tech support, so how to respond to customers and this would have its own onboarding and it's a separate role. DevOps, so how to do servers and how to make sure the whole infrastructure is set up well. Data security, which is all policies and onboarding and again, another role, it would have its own onboarding, uh, but there would be a lot of uh, a checklist in particularly data security, things like checking database backups are working, checking everything's secure, um, so huge, huge, huge opportunities a- across the the wider engineering team too.
0: Love that, and uh, and there are, um, I love the the level of detail that we've got there, uh, and, and of course, becoming from an experience of having created those within our businesses, right? Um, but it's interesting, like there's so many parallels to other uh, functions as well, which uh, I'd love to cover in subsequent episodes. Um, uh, because uh, yeah, there's so much that's similar. And um, what about in terms of the the impact that you then expect to see when those things are in place? You know, what's the um what's the prize at the end of this, or or as part of the journey? Like, how, what builds in terms of the impact on the team by having all of these things in place? How does it feel? Uh, and for you, like, how's it felt different working in an engineering team? where it's got these things versus when it either didn't in our companies, but also pr- prior to, you know, building companies together, you've had your own experience uh, uh, working in the in the uh, uh, software side anyway. So like, how does it feel different?
1: Well, I mean, so many ways. I mean, f- from the business, there's so many instances where there were previously mistakes that made it much further than they should have done and basically, you know, projects back by days weeks months see you can easily easily put the value on that at tens hundreds of thousands of pounds when you look at the engineering costs the opportunity costs, and so on but for me personally it's the the experience of how i'm um, i'm doing week in week out and uh, as the the senior engineer on the team uh, i'm going to be i was spending hours and hours and hours doing reviews of code and new features Uh, and then hours and hours of supporting them earlier on in the journey as we we got improved with the design steps and so on and uh, essentially the biggest chunk of my week would be dedicated to provide that kind of support and then fixing the mistakes which drove me slowly mad and if i wanted to get other things done then i'm having to do it in the 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 evenings and my wife is literally kind of questioning like what why have you hired these people if you're basically spending the same amount of time that they're spending developing trying to fix their mistakes in the evenings?" instead of talking to well she didn't say the instead of talking to me but she did she did say the first bit um and bloody good question so i mean for 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 me it's holding me back as a as a a leader of a business but even if i'm just leader of the team i'm I'm not able to think about bigger strategic initiatives i'm not be able to focus my specialist skills um and it's affecting my home Mm. life and for the team they're making mistakes and and frustrated with the the velocity that we're moving at um uh, and everything else you've got the anxiety about the job anxiety about the whole team and business when when you aren't moving that quickly uh concern about whether you're going to be able to scale up the team quickly and quick enough, knowing how um painful that can be and that thats kind of at the start but you've got all these middle grounds like even as we started to improve you're still seeing instances where things come up and I'm having to you know parachute in and try and solve those issues. Whereas if I compare it today, I'm still the, uh, ultimately the CTO. But there are periods when we've got other priorities in the, the business where I'm barely yeah. popping into engineering for months at a time. Uh, we've got a, um, uh, a, a young engineer, uh disturbs me uh, it i don't want to say his exact age but uh significantly younger than me uh, to the point where most people would like uh, the classic way of saying you need to this many years of experience to be a senior engineer he's nowhere near that he's uh both uh incredible um at uh, being an engineer but he's a fantastic manager mm. um and he's just his natural skill set and so i've take, taken him and he's now running the mean teams. teens i've been able to delegate line management to him as well it's freed up a huge amount of my time and uh, when there are periods where it's a higher priority, I'm coming in and doing the really high impact stuff where I've got specialist skills to really turbocharge the team rather than spending my time supporting code reviews and oh. all the details stuff which would otherwise slow me down. And that's, of course, that's game-changing. When we bring in a new developer, uh, I'm spending like a, an hour with them in their first week because of the combination of our self-service uh, onboarding and support they get from their buddies and uh, team it doesn't derail me it doesn't derail the team and we've got an engineers who are getting up to speed and adding value in their first week so yeah. it's huge it's huge for the business impact it's huge for stress uh, and happiness and wellness for everyone involved
0: now that's awesome it, uh, yeah definitely if you yeah. feel and i've seen it across other managers and other teams and, and the impact is essentially it's stopping the repeated questions stopping the firefighting right it's you know uh, so that you can be more Uh, focused down on higher impact stuff so that's absolutely awesome Um, we're running short on time so let's go quickly on this next question and we'll cover it in more detail in other episodes but how do people get started with this you know if if someone's a head of a software engineering team and they go "Ah, yeah I totally need this but where do I start it all feels so big and scary
1: cool well we'll we'll definitely go into this because I would say the steps are not uh complicated and once you've kind of gone through them you're going to go okay that well that seems obvious now that you've, you've said it um but there are there are steps that that make a difference make an impact it does make a difference if you choose an appropriate tool. Uh, using Google Docs or a, a wiki are going to hold you back because they don't work for some of the use cases that you need to have in your system. They don't work well for the onboarding. They don't work well for any uh, process that needs to be audited or stopped and resumed. There's lots of kind of little cases they don't do it. Um, also, you're going to need to have ways of managing it and those aren't built in, so you'd have to be doing that separately. And, and we can, we'll be covering that. You want to be establishing a way of starting small and scaling up, and managing as you as you go along and again we've got an approach to doing that um, uh, starting with uh, one team and then one role and then the high impact uh, areas for that role you'll need to be training the team so as i said most team members will have a misconception about what documentation looks like and so partly by setting out examples and so on uh, and creating a, a good foundation of of what your content looks like will help. But you do need to give some training and kind of point out things like the title of a document. Mm. Um, review the system architecture versus system architecture. It, it does make a big, big difference. And finally, in doing all this, we want to make sure you're making an early impact because that moment that you invest a load of time creating that big document and discover that people aren't using it is where it all starts falling apart and the whole team loses that that motivation that momentum um but again that's something that we've we found is that if you if you get the focus right you can be making that impact within the first first weeks so that's how you do it
0: fantastic love this well as you say we'll go deeper on exactly how to do each of those in upcoming episodes um but uh, uh, as we've talked about like if you've got a team that um you know they're smart logical but they're just distrustful they dislike the idea of creating these uh, detailed processes and so on uh, help them understand the key reasons for doing it and the impact that it can have in terms of reducing the stress reducing the firefighter when you get that in place uh, and uh, and it'll it'll have huge impact on your business Fantastic. Well, that's all we've got time for. But uh, as regular listeners will know, we run a weekly webinar on how to free up 15 hours per week and remove the constant stress of running a business without slowing down growth, which includes a lot of the principles uh, that uh, help you solve the problems we've talked about today. Uh, It's every Wednesday at 1pm UK time. You can find out more and register at www.airmanual.co forward slash webinar. A final note for our podcast listeners as a new podcast, we need your help. If you found the content today valuable please just take one minute to leave an honest review or share it with someone else, share it on social media. This will help the podcast to get more visibility and help more people. Otherwise, until next time, have fun.